If you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Luke chapter 24. I'm going to just jump right in this morning, if that's okay. And if it's not okay, we're still going to jump right in this morning, so just deal with it. Okay, Luke 24. I don't know what to say after that. Okay, Luke 24, beginning in verse 1. It says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, it's the women, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. You know, the, the resurrection changes everything. I think a lot of Americans, maybe beyond America, but a lot of Americans say they believe in the resurrection. And I think what they mean by that is that they believe in the resurrection the way they believe in Abraham Lincoln. You know, it's, yep, it's a historical thing, yep, yep. But what impact does Abraham Lincoln have on their life today? Well, they're not thinking about it. It's nothing. And people will, will take the resurrection, perhaps as maybe it's a historical thing, okay, that's fine, but has no impact. Well, you need to know that that's not what the Bible means when it talks about belief, not just tacit recognition of a historical e- event. The Bible will say that the demons even believe that. That's not, that's it. it's surrendering your whole life underneath that belief. This resurrection thing changes everything. What you got to know is this. People will say that they can't be into Christianity because there's some stuff in the Bible that they're just not sure about. You know, there's some command stuff, there's some story stuff. They're just, uh, they're just not sure about some of that. And that's, don't be derailed. That is a secondary issue. Kind of push the biblical ethic aside for a second. Bottom line is, most important question, did he rise from the dead or not? Because if he did, you have to deal with those other things. People will say, I, I can't get into Christianity because there are hypocrites in the church. And I, as a pastor, I'm saying amen. And sometimes my name is on that list. There are hypocrites in law, but we still call lawyers. There are hypocrites in the medicine field, we still call doctors. There are hypocrites in, in police, we still dial 911. Hypocrites are everywhere. That's a secondary issue. Uh, we got to deal with that. But most important question we have to deal with is, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Because if he did, that changes everything. People will say, I, I have issues, I can't be into Christianity because I have issues with the organized church. You know, over the years, the organized church has done some pretty awful things. And I have some issues. I'm a pastor and I have some issues with the organized church. Let's get together and compare, compare lists. That would be, be fine. But that's secondary. Most important question is, did he rise from the dead or not? You know, in the book of Acts, lots of sermons, different people, different styles, different audiences, all that stuff. But the one thread that runs through every single one of them is this resurrection thing. Because in Scripture, everybody who comes in contact with the, the resurrected Jesus, where their story intersects with the resurrected Jesus, you know what? They don't, they don't believe in it like Abraham Lincoln. Their life is changed. 
And so if your life hasn't been changed because of the truth of the resurrection, there's a possibility you're, you're this Abraham Lincoln type of belief going on. Let me show you what, what I mean. In, in Luke 24, the women, after they saw the empty tomb and they saw the angels, they run, by the way, to talk to the disciples and let them know it really happened. Jesus really rose from the dead. And the disciples look at the gals and go, <laughs> Yeah, please. That's what they don't believe them because who believes somebody rises from the dead, right? But but verse 13, that very day, so it's like Easter afternoon, two of them, that's the disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened while they were talking and discussing together. Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? This is quite ironic, isn't it? But he's saying, he's saying what, what, what hole did you crawl out of, man? What rock have you been under? Don't you been figuring out what's going on? been listening? Don't you know all the hoopla that's going on in Jerusalem? And so Jesus says, well, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. You've got to love this. They're telling Jesus about Jesus of Nazareth. Let us tell you about him. Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. We had hoped. You're so good at It's... Past tense, right? Had hope. They're not, they're not hoping anymore. Hope is done. You ever, have you ever gone through this? Where you have hope, and then your hopes are dashed. Proverbs 13.12 says that, that uh, hope deferred, or hope dashed, makes the heart sick. It's true. It's true, isn't it? These guys had their hopes. But what, what, were, their, what, their, what were their hopes in? Well, they, they hoped that Jesus would redeem Israel. Now listen, don't read anything uh, spiritual into that because these guys didn't have any spiritual thing. Living under Rome was a terrible thing. They were vanquished people living under a cruel oppressor. And they were hoping for a new president. You know, they were hoping for someone to come in and fix everything. They were hoping for a higher wage and they were hoping for a, a great leader and, and they were hoping for a better life and they were hoping for significance. Finally, we could be our own nation and do our own thing and do what we want to do with no one telling us anything. That's what they were hoping for. And they were hoping that Jesus would do that for them. But Jesus went and got himself killed. So what do you do? Their hope is, is shot. What do you do with, with that? Their hope was uh, deferred. Hope was destroyed. You know, life is uh, that way, isn't it? A lot of times we have hope. And we get the medical report. Or we, and our hopes are, 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 are shot. You know, I can't remember uh, an Easter where we needed hope more than we do right now. can't remember uh, an Easter where... Somebody, something needed to breathe hope into not just American people, the world. You know, Belgium this past week had their rendition of, of September 11th, right? And it wasn't too long before that that France had their rendition of it. 
And, and it, it makes us see that, you know what? Oh, we are at war with ourselves. It's, this is not a safe world. School shootings, it's not safe to go to school. It's not safe to go to your office complex. It's not safe to go to a sporting event or to a concert or the railway or to the airport or to a hotel or to a restaurant. It's just not safe. And we we recognize that, that with all of our progress, this is where we're at. It's getting worse and it shouldn't be doing this. And when you couple that with the, the economic meltdown in the world, whole nations, their economy has collapsed. And no one's seen a whole lot of brightness anytime real soon. And when you c- couple that with the, the, the superbugs and viruses, and, and there's just not a whole lot of, of hope in this world. So if ever, now, Ortberg reminds us that, that people haven't been gathering for the last 2,000 years to say, you know, the stock market has risen, it has risen indeed. You know, or my... my, my 401k has risen, it has risen indeed. Or global security has risen, it has risen indeed. Or my confidence in in the ability of mankind to act civilly towards each other has risen, it has risen indeed. Or GE stock, or or my health. That, That is not why folk have been getting together. There's one thing by which people have been coming together over 2,000 years of different continents and different cultures, 2,000 years of, of disease and war, and hopelessness, and death. And that is this. Jesus Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. That is the hope. And in these, these Emmaus walkers, you got to keep in mind, these, these guys were, were hoping uh, in government to be fixed. They were hoping in, in external things to be fixed. That was their, was their plan. That was their, that was their goal. That's what they were hoping for. But if that's where your hope is today, ultimately, you need to know, if that's where your hope is, then you're walking on the road to Emmaus. And you, like the Emmaus walkers, will say the same thing they said. We had hoped, because it's not going to get you anywhere. Now, you've got to love this text, because... Jesus comes to these guys, doesn't he? They are walking away from Jerusalem. That's away from the epicenter of faith. And these guys, are, they have a mixed view, mixed up view of what God is supposed to do. They have a mixed up view of their own priorities. But don't you love it? Jesus doesn't say to them, well, listen, you want to walk with me? You better straighten out your act. And if you want me walking with you, man, you, we got to put a, better, a more positive spin on things here. Or you better fix your attitude if you want to. Don't, don't miss this. And hear me. He's going to invite them to walk with him. But before so, he walks with them. You see this? Jesus comes to them where they are with their hopelessness, with their pain, with their misunderstandings of life. And, and you need to know Jesus comes to you. Where you are today, you might not have it all figured out. You may have some confusion. You may have wrong paradigms. You may have it all mixed. Jesus comes to you in the midst of your hopelessness. And he gives, wants to give hope. He wants to, to if, if your hopelessness is, is unfounded and maybe you're running from him, he comes to you to straighten it out, to give you hope. If you're, if you're living on Friday and your hopelessness perhaps is founded in some way, he comes to give strength and comfort. I want to show you a, a story right now that gives you a little bit of an idea of what I'm talking about. If we could roll that.
high school sweethearts at McDowell. <laughs> and I don't know, everything just kind of fell into place. We just kept moving forward, got engaged at Christmas time in our sophomore year. We're married in our junior year. Um, then we went back to school, graduated, and went to Europe for three weeks <laughs> as, our, <laughs> as our delayed honeymoon. You know, we talked about all of our dreams and how we were going to move forward. We came back, um, got pregnant with Jack, who's now 11, and again, just everything was moving forward. We got along. We were best friends. We had our second Owen, who's our second son. He's eight now. And that's when it kind of really started getting um, bad for me. I was always kind of the crazy one from a very young age, you know, and I had some bad habits that I engaged in frequently, which kind of hung on um, throughout college and into my adult life. And uh, it started to create a, a divide, you know. I just got to the point where I couldn't live the double life anymore. And my decision was to run away from it all, you know. And, you know, there was infidelity involved. And I was really on a course to sabotage everything that we had. And I can remember sitting in my basement with my parents and members of this congregation and Pastor Rick at the time and them asking me point blank what do you want to do and I, I, I said I want a divorce you know I just want to cut loose and do what I want to do and um, ultimately it led to our separation I just would look at my, my two little boys and think you know how is this going to play out so um, I just always felt God though right with me through the whole thing. You know, like I felt like I could not get out of bed. He would just lift me up and I just would keep keep carrying on. Um, but, you know, I would always ask for God to tell me what to do, to show me what to do. If I was supposed to let him go and move on or if I was supposed to hold on and almost every day I would be in the shower and trying to focus and just get going with the day and he would always tell me to hold on. I mean that was what I heard every day was to hold on. I would at one moment tell her I the whole thing that we had was a mistake and I'm not the man that she needs and blah 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 and then like I'd call her drunk sometimes and just be like I love you so much I don't know what I'm doing and you know I, she was on this emotional roller coaster and um you know, I wrestled with God through the whole entire thing. You know, I knew that everybody around me was praying for me. And I could feel... I could feel that work in me. You know, so I kept holding on, but then I also felt like I was finding my strength and realizing that this is not acceptable and I, I can't be treated this way. And I can't let our boys see this behavior. And so I was gaining some strength in that way as well. And I hadn't been talking on the phone on the way home from the pound, so I wasn't paying attention. And got out of the van, and 
walked around the back of the car and he was on his knees in the driveway and just sobbing and, you know, saying that it was time for him to come home and then it was over and he was ready to be the husband that I needed and the father that the boys needed. And it was just unbelievable to see him again because in the process of, of everything that had happened, I don't know how many times I would say to friends and family, this isn't him. It's not him. There was like this darkness and, and blankness in his eyes that was never there before. And in that moment when he was there on his knees, he was back. And I could see her, I could see my husband, you know. It was like... <sighs> it was like Christ pulled my head out of the water. And uh, and everything let go. Really, from that point on, I just, you know, made. Uh, one change after another to let her know that I was recommitting myself to her. And it took a while. I thought I had to fit this mold, like there was a, a Christian man mold that I had to fit into, and there was just no way on this green earth that I was going to do that, because that's not who I am. And. Um, but like I said, God never left me alone. Which is amazing. But yeah, I guess the biggest thing for me is just that the same thing with him, God never let me go. Even when I felt like I couldn't do it, he was there and did. And he helped every step of the way. key message of the resurrection is that he comes to us in our hopelessness he comes to you in your hopelessness he came to the Emmaus walkers in, in theirs and then he, he spends some time with these guys who has a, a, a Bible study with them you wonder why we're so committed to the Bible Jesus goal was to help them see life through his eyes, through reality, and not how they had been looking. So he has this Bible study with them. Verse 28, it says, So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. Now, basically what Jesus is saying here is, Okay, here it is. What do you want to do? If you, if you are done with this conversation, I'm okay. I have nothing else to offer. If you are finished with this, you're finished with me, you just want to go on, you want to keep walking by yourself, okay. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. 
They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up to us the scriptures? And then what they do is they, they turn and they run back, the seven-mile track, back to Jerusalem. It's getting late, and they run back. They get there because they've got to tell the rest of the disciples, it's true. It's true. He really did rise from the, the dead. And so they, they get to the, to the disciples, and they're telling them this. And then in verse 36... It says, as they were talking about these things, they got the conversation going. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. I guess so, right? And the people know that dead people don't rise from the dead. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your heart? See my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Now, this amazing part with this is, remember, he just vanished earlier. He's talking to those disciples from Emmaus. He just, the walkers, he just vanishes. Acts tells us that what's going on here is they're in the upper room with the doors locked. And Jesus comes through the door. But he's not a phantasm. He's not just a spiritual, he's a physical thing he's touch me show me he, he says and when they and when he said this he showed them his hands and feet and while they still disbelieved it's a big thing to get your mind around right for joy and were marveling he said to them have you anything here to eat they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them he didn't do this because he's been three days in the grave and he's just hungry he did this to show them that this is real this is real flesh and bones this is a real body that can disappear and they can just come through doors. This is amazing. Now, the, the, what the hope. He came to these guys not just to comfort them in their pain. He came to give them hope. And, and here's the hope. When Jesus rose, he got not just his old body back. He got a, a new and improved. He got a, a Bugatti body. You know, he got a high performance. He got this wild body. And according to 1 Corinthians 15... If you're following Christ, you'll get one too. What, 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 he, what he's saying here, this is, this is huge, is your future, if you're following him, is unimaginably more glorious than anything this, this world has to offer. Now this is, is amazing stuff because in this world, every square inch of our lives has been Tainted by sin, right? Our, our marriages, our friendships, all, all relationships, sex and money and stuff and entertainment and time and discipline and authority. Everything, everything has been tainted by sin. We do not know of existence on any level that has not been tainted by sin. How do we live? counselors and doctors and, and, and hospitals and emergency and, and, and ambulance drivers and medications and, and trainers and fitness equipment, most of which is in the, the basement gathering dust. But all these things that, you know what, we think, we're trying to overcome all of the taintedness. Can you imagine, just for a second, life without any taintedness of sin? What Jesus is saying, the hope of the resurrection, is that your, your future, if you're following him, is, is more imaginably glorious than anything. Your relationships are perfect. Everything is perfect. Now, down here, we're so afraid, aren't we, that we're going to miss something. 
We have a bucket list because we, we think, you know, I go through life only once and I'm going to miss something. I might, I might miss relationships the way they're supposed to be or marriage the way it's supposed to happen or physical intimacy the way it's supposed to be or I'm going to miss love the way it's supposed to be and I'm going to miss the, the excitement and the, the beauty and, and opportunities for me and opportunities for my children. I'm going to miss it. We're, we live scared. And what Jesus is saying to his followers is, you're not going to miss anything. You're not going to miss anything. You're, 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 you're trying to fight for uh, the plastic beads in a muddy in a, a muddy alley but meanwhile what's for you is heaven it's 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 glorious it's Disney World and the French Riviera all mixed together. It's, 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 it's ultimately glorious. And you're fighting and you're wrestling for this. Do you think 50 million years from now, you'll be worried about the one thing in your bucket list that you didn't get accomplished here on earth? It's not going to be. That's the glory of the resurrection. That's the hope that he's given. When Jesus is with these walkers to Emmaus, they wanted him to fix all this outside stuff. They thought the real problem was all this. Everyone else is dysfunctional, right? All these other situations. Jesus, you need to fix it. And Jesus comes to them saying, I could have fixed all of that. But the real problem is not... The real problem is... And I came to fix your heart. And so when Christ died... On the cross, which was according to plan, it wasn't an accident, it wasn't he went and got himself killed, it was part of the plan. God the Father looked into my life, your life, all of the sin, all the stuff I've done that I know I shouldn't have, all the things I didn't do that I should have done, things that separate me from God, took them and put them on Jesus. And then when Jesus rose, that was proof, that, that, that was proof that God accepted that payment for my sin. My sin's been all paid for. It's just like the resurrection is the receipt. You know, you're in, a, you're in the store and you buy something, you've got to go back in. You hang on that, the receipt, right? Because if some security guy pulls you aside and says, hey, you're going to have to pay for that. What do you do? You pull out the receipt. You say, oh, no, 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 no. It's been paid for. The resurrection is the receipt that God accepted the payment for my sin and for yours. Louis Zapparini, if you've ever read the book Unbroken, great book. If you haven't read it, you should. Uh, much better than the movie. Uh, Zapparini was an uh, Olympic star. He ran the 500 meters in 1936 Olympics. 41, he joined up with the military. There's a war going on. His plane crashed into the Pacific. And Louis survived 47 days on a raft in the Pacific Ocean, fighting off sharks and, and heat and thirst and hunger and uh, Japanese fighters trying to, to strife him. Uh, he's finally rescued after 47 days by the Japanese and ends up in a POW camp, camps for years where there are horrific, inhumane tortures and abuse, just awful, awful, awful things. And in the book, as you're reading, you find that the camp is liberated. And you're going, yay! And then he gets to go home. And you're like, yay, all right, he made it. But when he gets home, what happens to Louis Zapparini is his life crashes. And it's the enemy. It's not the enemy out here that it's the problem. It's the enemy inside. And he's dealing with everything, the PTSD. And he's dealing with the hate and the bitterness over what had happened to him. And it's, 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 it's sinking his whole life in a hurry. 
And the only relationship that's going well is his relationship with the bottle. And so when he and his wife are just about done, his wife asks him to come to a, a church meeting. 1949, there's this pastor, who traveling pastor, who's there to speak by the name of Billy Graham. And so Louis Zepperini goes, and he listens to Billy Graham tell him about how God loves him and how he has offended God, how he is so hung up with everyone else offending him, but he has offended God, and he needs to ask God for forgiveness. Well, at the end, you know, Billy Graham says, would you commit your life to Christ? And Louis Zepperini stands up angry. He is ticked off at the world, at God. So he goes out the back. Well, next morning, his wife talks him into coming back, believe it or not, for another round of Billy Graham. And he says, okay, I'll do this, but you need to know, wife, that as soon as he starts talking about that surrender your life to Jesus stuff, I'm out of there. And so that night, again, Billy Graham's letting him know that Jesus died for his sin and that Jesus rose as payment for his sin. And Billy Graham asks him, asks the whole crowd, to commit their life, his life, to Christ. And Louis says, in the book, he stands up, he's angry. But for whatever reason, he can't walk out the back door. And he realizes if he does walk out the back door, he's going to be walking away from the only one who can give him hope. So that night, Louis Zapparini surrendered his life to Christ. He died just a couple years ago, 90-something years old. Changed, changed man. Radically changed. And so... What I want to do this morning is I want to ask you the same thing that Billy Graham asked Louis Zapparini. Would you commit your life to Christ? The band is getting ready to come out. And they're going to play it. What I want you to do is just listen. And you and I have a great, great propensity to guard our heart, don't we? Would you just not do that and listen and say, Lord, is there something you have for me? Father, thank you for dying, sending Jesus to die in our stead, my stead. Thank you, Lord, for coming to me in my hopelessness. I didn't recognize you at at first. Thank you, Lord, for opening my eyes and for the hope that you've given. And Lord, I do ask that as we stop for the next couple of minutes and listen, would your spirit work, whatever it is you would have for us. Lord, may we be open for it. And may you do it, Lord Jesus, for it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hi, I'm Roger. My name is Ellie Dietz. Hi, my name is Jen. Hi, I'm Cassie Hoyda. My life before Christ, probably about the first 27 years of my life, was uh, kind of like on a highway, I would say. Uh, with a GPS taking me down this highway and stops along the way would be the bar room scene, the drinking, the nightlife. So I became an alcoholic at an early age, uh, and I, it was fractured skull because of drinking, uh, motorcycle wrecks because of drinking. Uh, I was headed down a bad highway. 
I grew up in a Christian home, but I never really connected with Christ at all or had a personal relationship. I went to Sunday school, I did all the crafts and everything, but there was never really any spiritual meaning behind it. And eventually that led to me developing a five-year pornography addiction on the internet. My life before Christ um, was, I, I mean, it seemed full, but it was empty. I, I followed a lot of what the world said of, do what makes you happy. Um, there was a lot of doing what made me happy, but ultimately it didn't. There was, um, between drugs, alcohol, many bad relationships, some not as bad, but just not right. My life before Christ was pretty dark, honestly. Um, I grew up believing, but not practicing, and I ended up turning atheist. And around that time, I got into drugs. I was going from relationship to relationship. I struggled with bulimia. I had an abortion when I was at when I was 16, and it was it was a really hard time. And a little bit, uh, a few years later, I was like. 18, 19, met a guy, um, got into heroin, and I was dealing with emotional and physical abuse, cut off from everybody, and at that point I was about to end it all. If I told you my story you would hear hope that wouldn't let go If I told you my story You would hear love that never gave up If I told you my story You would hear life but it wasn't mine If I should speak Then let it be Oh, the grace that is greater Than all my sin Of when justice was served And when mercy wins Of the kindness of Jesus That draws me tell you my story is to tell of him. I, I believe probably going back what I remembered that probably turned me was my wife before she was my wife. Uh, we worked in the same place and I, actually she invited me to go to family camp at Edinburgh, but I, something happened at that time in my life. Uh, I think the highway started to uh, turn. My turning point was realizing that the life that I had made for myself, I just hated what I had become. Like I started to hate myself, I, hate, I hated what I was doing. But I found that the people that I knew with a firmer relationship with Christ, they still loved and accepted me no matter what, and they truly cared about me getting better. And I found that the more trust I put in God, the better I even felt about myself. 
the better my entire life became. I don't really have an exact turning point. Um, I've had life-altering moments that have brought me to my knees, that, that taught me about Jesus and had me searching for God and, and Jesus, but never fully understanding what it was. So after I had these moments and fall to my knees, I'd get back up and continue on my path. Everything that I was doing was because I was trying to still live my own life. Even after hearing who he was, it wasn't some magical moment that everybody thinks like, you're saved. It's an everyday thing that you have to work for. My turning point. All right, so um, when I was going through all of that, my I was with this guy and I was about to commit suicide and the night before, um, I ended up getting arrested and going to jail. And um, while I was in jail, my mom was also very sick in the hospital. She was dying. They sent her to Pittsburgh, and she was very, very sick. She was in there for a lot of months. And um, I remember I ended up praying for the first time in, like, years. And um, she ended up being miraculously saved. So I started questioning. Um, I was like, maybe there is a God. told you my story you would hear victory over the enemy if I told you my story you would hear freedom that was won for me if I told you my story you would hear life overcome the grave if I should speak then let it be of the grace that is greater of my sin of when justice was served and when mercy wins of oh, the kindness of Jesus draws me in for oh, to tell you my story is to tell of him this is my story this is my soul praising my Savior all the day long this is my story this is my
side. It was like the GPS went off and switched me over into another highway. And I started following the highway. I, and I started going to church, married my sweetheart, Joan, and I, and we, I started on this highway uh, and, and the GPS was leading me and so I've been following that highway going up since that point in time, but was a lot of potholes and bumps in the road along the way. My relationship with Christ today is growing. It's still really difficult to undo five years of progress, but every day is getting a bit closer to being clean. And God's really making changes in my life, and I'm loving it. My relationship today is very different. I now understand that to have a relationship with Jesus is something that you do every day. And if I bring Jesus in and walk with him daily, it seems to help me make choices. It, it still doesn't make life easy. It's still not uh, a magical wand that changes your life. It's something that you work for and you constantly fight for, for a relationship with him because he he's always there. It's just us that gets in the way. My relationship with Christ today. Um, I am a work in progress. There's oh so many things that he'll bring up and just fix in me and it's honestly, sometimes it hurts, but some, it's a beautiful process, honestly. And I used to be totally like introverted and self-loathing, but now I'm, I can't recognize myself. Like I am happy, I have the joy of the Lord, like I can't even explain why. Like if without Christ in my life, like to me it's meaningless. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. So let me ask you the question that Billy Graham asked Louis Zapparini that Herb had to answer, that all the folk in the video just now had to answer, and that is, would you commit your life to Christ? Would you take a moment and bow your heads with me? I'm going to pray a prayer, but you need to know that the words are on one level irrelevant if your heart's not there. It's really a matter of your heart. Where you sit, knowing and recognizing that Jesus has been walking with you, and Jesus is saying, okay, do you want me to go my own way now or are you going to walk with me? You can pray something like this and say, Lord, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for opening my eyes. And right now I want to say I'm sorry for my sin and ask you to forgive me. Lord, there's a lot that you need to teach me. I pray I would learn. But thank you for your forgiveness. Amen. And before our ushers head back, this is what I want everyone to do. If you take your bulletin, 
Everyone grab your bulletin right now. It's a, you, all, you were given that when you walked in. There's a tear-off section on it. Do you see it right underneath the Jeff Allen comedy thing? There's a tear-off thing. Um, go ahead and tear that out. Everyone pull that out. And if, if, if you surrendered your life to Christ this morning, you see in that upper right-hand corner, it says something like, I recently gave my life. Could you just check that? And, and here's the deal. You're not going to be put on this major mailing list, getting lots of junk mail, that kind of stuff. You might get something from me. But for your sake, to drive the stake in, yes, this Easter 2016, I surrendered my life to Christ. Go ahead and mark that if, if that's so. As the offering plates go back, go bond, you can just go ahead and place that in the plate. Thanks. Go ahead, ushers. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long for the grace that is Of when justice was served And when mercy wins For the kindness of Jesus That draws me in For to tell you my story Is to tell of the grace That is greater than all my sin Of when justice was served when mercy wins, all the kindness of Jesus that draws me in, for to tell you my story is to tell of Him. 